Well, hello everyone. Welcome again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, alongside Mike Howerton. And, of course, we are brought to you by the TAP League System and Lucasi Custom Cues. And we have uh, we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do. It's It's been quite a while since we did one of these, which is strange, considering the year went out with a bang. There were a lot of things to talk about, and it wasn't a a lack of subjects that got us. It was a lack of time. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty busy. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been a lot of places. I guess the first one we want to talk about is the Moscone Cup. That was... Uh, I, I won't say that it was a surprise that uh, that Europe won like they did. I just think they have the better team right now. Well, I think that uh, statistically it's it's very easy to say that. Uh, I keep remembering, however, day two when America came back and totally dominated that day. And we went to, uh, to bed that night with a very, very close Moscone Cup. It was the next day when Team America failed to show up, and Europe just ran all over them. Well, on, on first analysis, maybe you could try to say that Team USA's A game was stronger than Team Europe's A game, but I really think it was more Team USA's A game was stronger than Team Europe's B game on day two. Um, I think if both teams bring their A games, Team Europe still wins. Well, on paper and international rankings and all that sort of thing, I have to agree with you. Um, I mean, there, there are so many factors that go into play here, but the statistics come out in, in, favor, of, um, in favor of the Europeans. Well, and, and one, um, one school of thought, um, I was just reading the Moscone Cup story from the Billiards Digest, and uh, the European team has mentioned that getting out there and playing in international competition, playing short races against top talent puts them in a position where they're more comfortable in that sort of format. Um, you know, and not to jump too far ahead, I don't want to, I don't want to completely take this conversation to Derby yet, but you know, one of the complaints about Derby is that the races are short in nine ball. And I have friends from here in town who go out there for the banks in the one pocket and they say, well, you know, I don't want to hang out. I want, I don't want to watch short race nine ball. In my opinion, short race nine balls fun to watch because, I mean, look, you and I have been to Turning Stone. You and I have watched three-hour matches where it's a race to, God, it feels like a race to a hundred nine ball, but it's really only a race to thirteen. And it, you know, you watch a race to thirteen nine ball, you're you're nodding off. You, you don't nod off at Moscone Cup. You don't nod off at Derby in a race to seven because these guys know you make one mistake, you lose the match. And that's why they don't like it, and and you can't blame them. Although you're you're right from both sides. For fans, the shorter the race is, the better. Unless you're a true pool aficionado who wants to watch long races, because we know that in long races, the better player is going to win most often. But there's a place for that. 
you know, if, if you want to play long races, there is a gentleman in Las Vegas who has a room set aside. <laughs> He'll bring the cameras. You bring the cash. You guys can play your brains out for three days. That has its place, and I don't mind watching that if that's what I'm watching, because I know I can get up and leave the room and come back and, oh, what happened? Well, two or three games went by, and now the score's uh, 65 to 47. Okay, I didn't miss much. You know, yeah, I didn't see the shot that Shane pulled off last year at Derby, the, the jump draw shot, um, but, you know, people are touting that as the second coming of, of Reyes' Z shot. Right. That's the kind of shot that comes when you're playing a short race and you can't afford to you know, give a, give away any opportunity. Oh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. I'd much prefer to watch a short race than a long race, but that's because I'm a spectator, not a player. Well, and And knowing that there is a place for those long races, the game is struggling as it is. The, the, there are tours that can't fill uh, a 200-seat venue in a casino. Um, the only pro events that are standing room only for fans are the ones that take place in front of 150 bazillion amateur players. You know, maybe the pros could see that the short races are what draw the fans out, and with more fans, the game gets better, but uh, that's that's beating a dead horse. <laughs> You're right. I mean, TV and, and, and the populace need short races. There's very little question about that, um, but I don't think they're going to get them. Well, my next question, uh, sticking with the Moscone Cup subject, um, I'm not going to ask the question, what's it going to take for Team USA to uh, become competitive again against Team Europe? I'm just going to ask, how long is it going to take? Well, I sort of believe in cycles. And now that the rest of the world has equaled um, the American skill level, I think you'll see various regions of the world cycle in and out of dominance. Um you know, the Northern Europe could really lay claim to dominance um, over the last three or four years because of the world championships that they've, they've pulled off. Before that, it was the Philippines, and now there's a new contingent from the Philippines making a new charge at it. And then you've always got the fellows from China and Taiwan who are waiting in the wings to take down anything they can. Um You know, between America and Europe and the Moscone Cup, I think that will just cycle back and forth. And how long did America dominate? Wasn't it like uh, nine of about nine years they were really dominant in the Moscone Cup? So would it be a big surprise for Europe to be dominant for nine years? Um, wouldn't surprise me. You're kind of, and again, going back to the, the Billiards Digest article, they mentioned that Team Europe has gotten stronger over the years, while Team USA has gotten older during the last couple of years. <laughs> I mean, you've got the same, you've got Johnny Archer, you've got, I don't know that that's fair. You know, Rodney, yes, Rodney's getting a little older, just you can tell with the gray hair, but, you know, Sean Putnam's not really, 
he's he's not over the hill, and and Mike DeShane is far from over the hill, and and Shane is far from over the hill. But what you're saying is that it's going to kind of require a new blood, uh, more Mike DeShane and less Johnny Archer. And, and and the only reason that I point those players out is simply because of the age. I'm not saying that Johnny Archer's never going to hoist another Moscone Cup. The guy, you know, when he brings his A game. It, it's going to take a European A game to beat him, but it kind of sounds like we need more Mike DeShane and Shane Van Boning and less Johnny Archer and uh, Kim Davenport, Earl Strickland, you know, the the older guard. And that's a huge problem that I see because you and I both know there are fewer young players coming out every year. Uh, we used to have, you know, 10 years ago, there'd be quite a few young rookies to take a look at each year and uh, it's just not that way anymore but that's a real long subject and totally away from the Moscone Cup well you know it 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 leads to an interesting question um and, and I don't know that I want to spend a whole lot of time on it but seven eight years from now USA let's say team USA wins the Moscone Cup who's on their team well, Shane. Shane will be there for sure. Um, I think Mike DeShane uh, could continue on. I mean, I, I don't see any basic flaws there that are going to knock him out. Um, <sighs> yeah, it uh, pickings get a little slim. I mean, you've got some um, some some good young players coming up who could blossom into superstars like Jesse Engel. Oh, and that, uh, I can't remember his name, the 15-year-old boy we just watched um, at Derby City. You're right, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm thinking more along the lines of the, the Hunter Lombardos of the world. I mean, Hunter's getting out there and playing on the international scene, and and we all know that makes uh, that makes a player a lot stronger. I would, coming from Arizona, I would really like to see our local hotshot, Mitch Ellerman, get out there and play more. Um, I mean, the kid's a monster, and with some seasoning, you know, with playing in more big tournaments, players like Mitch can can see where their game really is. Yeah, yeah, Mitch can come with it when he wants to. I'd like to see him out there more, too. Well, and, and real briefly, uh, you and I did not uh, go over this before we sat down for the show, but uh, the BCA is doing something to help uh some of our U.S. players actually get out there and play on the international circuit. Yeah, they've started a um, a fund that uh, members of the BCA can contribute a thousand dollars, and um, well, we contributed, CSI contributed, uh, Simonis contributed, Tweeton contributed, and one other. And of course, I'm very embarrassed not to be able to call their name at the moment, but. Uh, those are the ones that I know of, and I haven't checked it lately. I don't know who else is, has joined in, but um, it's a good cause, and I hope uh, hope a lot more companies will throw some money that way. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see the BCA come out um, and promote it a little bit more, uh, talk a little bit more about how they see those funds being distributed. It seems kind of like their announcement has gone under the radar. Um certainly applaud them for what they're doing and I like the fact that they're not they're not counting on the players and the fans I mean the players and the fans well the fans have been asked to do quite a bit and and 
the fans are all interested in the game getting better and doing what they can do, but this can't fall on the fans. Um, right. And, and if and, the industry can, and it may, I'm going to interrupt you. It may seem like they, they, uh, that it's flying under the radar, but you have to remember that the only people who can contribute to the fund are members of the BCA. At least to my knowledge, those are the only ones who can contribute. And, uh, they are putting a notice about it in the newsletter that goes out to their members. So they are communicating to the proper people who can donate. Well, let's see how, you know, let's see how the response is over the next couple of months, and then especially going into the trade show, which I believe you will be at. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's in Chicago this year? Yes. Oh, and, and, and actually, I'm, I'm kind of, I do this sometimes. I Sometimes I swap the trade show and the expo in my mind. The trade show's not till July, so I guess that's that's further out than I would like to see. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see what the response is like in the next couple of months. And and the BCA says they're going to keep us up to speed so we can keep the fans informed on the website. Um, I don't know, maybe we could get somebody from the BCA on one of our upcoming shows to talk about the, the plan. Something to think about. Yeah, something for you to think about. Since you have connections in Chicago, I am going to the trade show, and I am looking for a free meal at Pinozo's Deli. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'll see what I can do. But, you know, ever since uh, being on that TV show, I'm sure that's a hot ticket. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't mind takeout. Oh, okay. I hear the food's really good. Yeah, that's what I hear, too. In fact, I've had some samples of the uh, Italian sausages and cheeses. And, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable stuff. Well, after Moscone, you and I had to... Uh, put our thinking caps on. We had uh, one very easy and one very tough decision for 2011 Players of the Year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Chen Ming was, was pretty easy. I mean, she dominated the women's game. Um, we put the stats in the article, but it was really amazing. Like, 90% uh, of her uh, finishes this year were in the top five. So, uh, she was pretty easy. Can you... Can you remember back to when the last time was that a player of the year from American media was not a WPBA player? Wow. <laughs> Crickets. Yeah. No, it's not, I don't think that's ever happened before. I never, I well, never even thought about ends, it. But, I mean, she, was, she was just such an obvious choice um, that, right. that, that, that there was no one else to go with. How, however, right. and, and men, <laughs> that was different. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, we had early on, we had three uh, three possible winners, and we eliminated one of them. Um, well, we eliminated Shane. It, it came down to Shane, Darren, and Ralph. Right. Which is interesting because last year it came down to Darren and Ralph. This year, Shane was the first player that we eliminated statistically based on. The fact that he didn't competitions, right, right. Um, and while while certainly all three of them had years to be proud of, and Shane was actually the top money winner, um, that comes partly because we track a much larger uh, percentage of U.S. events than we do 
European events, although we did talk to, to Darren and Ralph and made sure that we got the major tournaments that they placed in, but I'm certain that there were tournaments they played in that we didn't have results of. Yeah, and one of the others that we considered briefly, Dennis Rocoyo, um, you know, there are a lot of events he plays in, like those weekly uh, televised uh, Philippine Pro Bull events that we don't get the results on at all, and, and, and it's a $5,000 prize. So um, you win three or four of those in a year, and it makes a real difference uh, for our stats, because if people don't report us report to us what the prize money is, obviously we don't we don't know it. Well, and, and as a rule, you know, I'm the one who maintains the database of player results. And as a rule, I don't list head-to-head challenge matches. Right. Um, you know, Shane wins 10,000 here playing Earl and Oscar wins playing Raj. But, but I, don't, I don't list that. I, I don't know. I've just never felt that it belonged in tournament winnings. There are people who feel the exact opposite. And, you know, down the road, maybe we'll change that. But... You know those those challenge matches. I I just don't see them as part of that database. Um, of course, if we'd listed those results, then Shane would have been the top money winner by even more. So, yeah, but he still wouldn't have been our player of the year. No, no. Um, so yeah, we eliminated Dennis. Now Dennis was the WPA player of the year, but that was based on WPA events, Correct. and we tried to base ours on much more than WPA events. And, you know, being from the, from the States, we, we put a little bit of emphasis towards uh, U.S. events. Um, so we eliminated Dennis. We eliminated Shane. It came down to uh, Ralph and Darren. And, I mean, we both went back and forth on the names at times, thinking that we were both in agreement that it was going to be Darren. And then a day or so later, one of us calling the other one and saying, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I thought about it more. No, I think it's Ralph. Well, I, I mean, it really went back and forth. It, it's a year ago. I remember it being extremely close, and, and I really believe that 2011 was even closer. It, this was the closest I've seen it, but it did come down to a statistical difference. We did not make a subjective judgment. It was based on head-to-head uh, tournaments competitions where both uh, Darren and Ralph were playing in the same event. And Ralph had a better outcome in those events. And, you know, look, let's be honest. You and I both know that Darren and Ralph and Shane and Dennis and and whomever else, you know, when it comes to December, they're not going to bed at night saying, ooh, I wonder if the players of the year are going to be announced tomorrow. Maybe I can win. I mean, look, there, there's no prize money involved. Right. It's it's just a little feather in their cap. Right. So it's not that huge a deal. However, it does mean something. You know, it's, it's uh, an acknowledgement of your performance throughout the year. Right. So while there is no prize money, you know, it does mean something to these guys. Sure. And it was nice to see... After we made our announcement, uh, Darren Appleton commented on Facebook that there couldn't have been a more deserving player of the year than Ralph. Uh, It was very gracious, uh, and it was nice to see. You know, those European guys, except for that big tournament in December, they're not all that bad. No, they're not. They're pretty good fellas. What else you got on your plate? (laughs) Although Rodney might want to argue that. Yeah, yeah, let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we announced our players of the year. Yep. Uh, we ended the year. Um, 
there were a couple events here and there in January, but obviously by by miles and miles, the biggest event was the one we just came back from, Derby City Classic. Non-stop action. <laughs> I, I cannot and, believe the endurance of young pool players. And some old ones. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Buddy was there. I didn't, I didn't see him in action, but, you know, it was nice to see Buddy there. Yeah. Um, I won't say that there was less action than past Derby Cities, but I do think that the action that was there was cheaper action. Um, you know, we heard a lot about uh, challenge matches in the, in the four-figure range. There weren't a whole lot of five-figure challenge matches going on there. Everybody likes to likes to play there, so it's not like the the match. You know, it's not like there were less matches to watch. It just seemed like there was less uh, less funds or less backing for those players who were playing. Well, it's not like the economy is getting better, and since gambling funds are disposable income, uh, we know there's a lot less of that this year than in past years. The gamblers were there. They, you're right. They just weren't rolling as high. And, and and besides all that, there were even tournaments going on there. Some of which started at midnight. <laughs> yeah. I I couldn't help relating the story that I heard of what I believe was a bank pool match. Yeah. We will not get into the names of the players as we have discussed this on the show many times before, but two of our favorite players were involved in a bank pool match that started at midnight. Now, after that match began, a one-pocket 32-player single elimination tournament started and finished before they were done with their bank pool match. Right. Yeah. Yeah, five and a half hours or something like that. Five and a half or six hours, something like that. I, I can't even imagine. Well, I mean, I could imagine myself trying to bank a ball in for five and a half to six hours, but a match, how do you keep your, how do you stay sharp for that amount of time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, glad I did not have to cover that match. Uh, can you imagine having that one on TV and doing the uh, color commentary on it? He banked him. Oh, yeah. He banked him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, but, well, you but, mean we're not going to see that one on AccuStats anytime soon? I, I don't think so. I don't think that one will be released. <laughs> um, it would be like a seven DVD set. <laughs> <laughs> um, but great competitions. Bank pool, one pocket, or the first two competitions. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the short race nine ball. And uh, Master of the Table this year? Da-da-da-da! Yeah, Master of the Table this year, the player who played in the finals of the Banks and the one pocket and the nine ball. Yeah. Uh, Greg had mentioned that he didn't think he'd ever seen in history one player play in the finals of all three events. Yeah, Shane was, uh, well, he was phenomenal. He really was. Um, he was. I I watched the One Pocket Finals, and from watching a fair amount of One Pocket here in Phoenix, we have 
we have a few one pocket players and we have a few really good one pocket players. Um, what struck me the most about that one pocket match, and I think I, I described it to you later, was the story I took away from it was you can outmove Shane Van Boning 19 out of 20 times. He'll kill you on that 20th time. Yeah. It, it, he just, he's that good. Um, you know, one thing that you see from anyone other than the absolute top one pocket players, and, and occasionally you see it from the top one pocket players, is they spend 20 minutes moving the ball around, and then when it comes time for them to come with a shot, they may not be able to make that shot. At the moment, Shane doesn't have that problem. He, he cold, you know, uh, just got done moving against you for 20 minutes or, you know, running his fifth rack. The kid just makes balls hard of the pocket from anywhere. And, you know, the one pocket match, Joey Gray, which Joey Gray played outstanding. Yeah. Um, a lot of people were really surprised to see him in the finals, but when Kenny uh, talked about uh, the tournaments that he had won, he's won a lot of one-pocket stuff from the Midwest. Um, I mean, he played he played great, but after winning the first game, Shane won every game after that, and it just seemed like Joey would outmove him for 20 minutes, he'd leave a shot, Shane would run three. They'd have a safety battle. Joey would look like he had the better end of the safety battle. He'd leave a shot. Shane would run three. It, it was just, I mean, it was it was like watching a baseball game. There were fireworks for two minutes and safety battles for 20 minutes. So, you know, Shane just plays any game. Any game that involves pocketing balls, Shane's got to be a favorite. He's a monster. Yeah, I think at least two nights you came in and I said anything interesting and the first word out of your mouth was Shane. <laughs> and it was always somebody left him a shot that they didn't think he would try. They thought he'd play safe on it and he just nailed it. You know, in watching One Pocket, I'm always interested in the traps that the players lay and you know try to get somebody to go for a shot. You can't trap Shane because he doesn't miss. Right. So, um, besides that, they had a big announcement at Derby, which is something that we've been hearing for a while was, was probably going to happen, but they did finally come out and make the announcement. Uh, Derby City Tunica. Yes. I think it's July which is 20th, not what they're calling it. 20th through the 28th, I believe it is. But it's at same the, time as? Same time, well, it overlaps the BCA trade show. Right. But um, then again, you know, I don't see a lot of the hardcore gamblers going to the BCA yeah, trade, trade show. show. Right. Yeah, right. And, and uh, yeah, I think it'll be fine. Um, but before we get to that, because uh, we may have to wait until after we interview our guests to talk about that, because we're starting to run out of time here. But um, at the same time Derby City was going on, there was a WPBA Masters event going on. There was. There was. And it was won by a master. A true master and jewel of the game, Ava Lawrence. I was so happy to see that she won. You and me both. I mean, you just you just don't have anyone in the industry that you 
want to see win more, you know, than Ava because she deserves good things to happen to her. She does. She's good people. Um, she looks after the game. She doesn't. You know, I think every I think every pro player has a percentage of their life that they look after the game and a percentage of their life that they look after themselves. I mean, everybody has to. Sure. But Ava looks out for the game the vast majority of the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's just one of the great things about Ava. She doesn't put Ava first, you know. And um, Right. She, of course, is waiting on the line, so why don't we plug her in? and uh, give her our congratulations. Sounds good. Ava, how are you? I'm good, Derry. How are you? Well, I bet you are good. We're good as well because a friend of ours just won a big event, the WPBA Masters. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, you got to run us through this one. I mean, there's so many... Interesting things about this, the fact that you used to live in Michigan and this <laughs> took place up there at the Soaring Eagle. And um, it's, uh, frankly, it's been a while since I've seen you at the top of the podium. It was just great to see you back. And, and you had a tough, tough event. I mean, you had to beat Allison in the final, and before that you had to go up against Guy Young. Sit back and tell us a little bit about it. Um, you know what? It's it's. I have been trying to like dissect it um, in my head, kind of since I got back, and um, it's pretty interesting. I think. I mean, I I played really strong throughout the tournament. It really, just like most of the players do, you play almost stronger in the in the beginning before it gets to the TV matches because you're a little bit lost. You know, the cloth is new, so you feel like Bambi on ice a little bit, and. The lights right. are different, the setup is different, and you've gotten used to everything else. But, um, you know, I um, I started playing strong at the beginning of, ne- of last year. I signed with uh, another long-term contract with Brunswick Billiards, which I wasn't sure if I was going to or not. I mean, I do a lot of exhibitions and shows and represent them and do a lot of corporate events and everything else. But, you know, times being what they are and am I really, you know, needed out there and I'm not winning and everything else. It was kind of up in the air and um, they re-signed me again. And it's always been in my contract, or not always, but last 15 years, I would think, about since the last time I won a tournament, that I need to play in 75% of the events uh, to fulfill my contract. And uh, that actually ended up as a deterrent. You know, I put a lot of pressure on myself at these tournaments and um, got really tight, couldn't really loosen up and play the game I know how to play it, and at the same time wasn't willing to t- do what it takes to win. Um, you know, I've, I've got a lot going on in, in my own life between, you know, I bought an APA franchise, I have another right. business on this side, I do exhibitions, I travel around, and I love being with my family. So, you know, I kept looking. Every time I went to a tournament, I kind of went, you know, I really should. Nah. You know, I got home, and, and I just there was just not enough hours in the day, and I didn't want to put the time in. I got tighter and tighter and started playing worse and worse, and I was actually down in the uh, 30s, ranked in the 30s. And we only Ooh. invite the top 32 now, and I went, you know what? Am I going to start having to qualify and, and travel around to all the regional tours, and am I prepared to do that? And then all of a sudden, when we re-signed this new contract, Brunswick said, you know what? Everything you do for us, the way you represent us, you don't you don't really have to play in any more tournaments if you don't want to. And wow. I was kind of, what? 
And I realized for the first time I had a choice. I didn't have to go to any more tournaments. And somehow that spurred me on to where I said, you know what, if I'm going to go, I want to go. So all of last year I didn't have that pressure on me, and I played really strong. And almost every match that I lost was like to, I think I lost twice to Guyon Kim on the hill. And I think, you know, I had chances to, to win against Allison, against um, Guyon, against the different plays I played. I just could not see myself as a winner. And then all of a sudden, here at this tournament, I guess it all, you know, I had a really strong tournament last year at this event. I was down one nothing with mm-hmm. Jeanette in Michigan and came back and won 9-1. Nine, nine and then won a couple of really strong matches wow. after that and just came up short. But, you know, not only do I seem to like it up there, but I just really played freely. My my arm actually did what my mind told it to do, and my heart was with it. So it all came together, I guess. Wow. That's fantastic. Before you played Guy Young Kim in this, the second time you played her once, went hill, hill, and she got the better of you. Yeah, that was a that was a fluky thing. I, I'm not big on people, on myself anyway, using excuses. But um, I had played a strong match. My first match, I was down four to one before I got used to everything and came back and won that nine to five. My second match, um, Joanne um, Ashton came out of the shoot like crazy and played unbelievable pool. Uh, wasn't anything I did wrong really. It was everything she did right, and she went ahead seven to one. And I came, clawed my way back, and won that match. And then I played Guy Young, and I felt great. And we had a super match. We just both went at it full force and played great. And at uh, it was Hill Hill at 8-8. Eight, eight. I'm down. I got perfect, very close, and perfect angle on the four ball to get up to the five. And totally, totally not her fault at all, no blame whatsoever. It just happened to be that... Um, Jeanette was playing on somebody on the other table behind me and she got really emotional and yelled out no or something like that and I jumped sky high and missed the four ball um, <laughs> totally no hard feelings nothing it was just the timing we all have outbursts like that when you feel emotional about it it was just weirdest timing right. on my forward stroke it happened and um, yeah. you know I I I forgave my. She ran out from there, and I forgave myself fairly quickly. And I just went on and I said, "Well, I'm playing good enough." So, and then I go down and I look at the board and um, regroup, and I and I play Monica Webb, who who was playing really well in the beginning of the tournament. So I went, "Okay." Yeah. And um, I won that match nine to three, I believe. And then I got some confidence, and I played Eleanor Collado, who was kind of making a big stink of her own. She's playing really super cool, and um, I played mm-hmm. another strong match. And then, as tired as I was, you know, at my at my point in my life, I go to bed like at ten o'clock, you know, at the latest. <laughs> and my right, match right. with uh, with Jasmine wasn't even scheduled to stay. It didn't even turn out to start till about eleven or eleven thirty, and um, played really strong again and beat Jasmine. And um, wow. You know, that brought me into the TV realm. And then you had to play Guy Young again, right? Yeah, and believe me, I was looking forward to that. I was not really nervous about that. I was a little bit nervous about playing under the TV lights again because for those who have done that, there is a different pressure altogether. And um, it's been a while, and, and I wanted to play my game. I wasn't even thinking. There was no part of me thinking about winning the tournament at that point. I just wanted to play a strong match. And if she played stronger, so be it. But, um, 
And I did. I, you know, we had some battles back and forth. We both made a couple of mistakes, uh, which which is okay. I forgave myself immediately and just said, you know, that, that everybody misses and just sat back down and waited for opportunities and um, and played a good match. Made um, a couple of, of the strongest match, uh, shots that I've ever made under pressure before. And there was a seven ball in the left rack that I can't believe I actually pulled off. So <laughs> Makes it feel pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, sometimes things feel better than other times. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I'm sorry, I've dominated. Would you like to jump in here? Well, actually, uh, the timing is well, because something that Ava had just said, and she said it a couple of times now, that I'd like for her to expand on a little bit. Um, Ava, for the benefit of amateur players who aren't winning WPBA Masters events anytime soon, can you expand on how you forgive yourself after a miss? I think that's probably the biggest thing we can all do. I mean, everybody plays within their own ability. And you got to figure out a way to, to coach yourself through the match because you don't have a coach sitting talking to your ear the whole time and saying, it's okay, it's okay. And the things we say to ourselves when we make mistakes is, are things that you would never say to your worst enemy. You know, you you get these negative thoughts, negative, um, you get negative physically, you get jump all over yourself if you wouldn't have done that, look, you're going to blow this match. You know, all those thoughts come into everybody's head, I believe. And the key is to just look at next play. You know, my husband has always said that, you know, there's a golfer that always said, it's okay, just next play. You just sit down and you go, you know, and it's easier said than done, but Everything has to kind of come together for you to get to that position where you go, it's okay. I don't care if I miss the straight in ball. It happens. It has happened to the best of them. Every golfer has missed a three-foot putt, no matter how great they are. Every pool player has missed a, a spot shot or a straight in, you know, ball in hand almost. I've seen top players miss with ball in hand. It, it's going to happen. And the key is to get over that, sit back in the chair, and be ready for the next time the other player lets you get to the table. I'd like to come back to uh, your your mentioning Mitch because I think that's an interesting story. Um, but going back to the tournament itself and your play during the tournament, we haven't watched it yet. Jerry and I were both in Derby at the time, and, and as far as I know, it hasn't been on television yet. But from what I read, uh, in the finals, you took a fairly good lead on Allison, and then she started putting together a comeback. Yeah, that was that was um that was my only weak spot in the entire tournament emotionally. Um I was ahead 5 to 1 and I played incredibly strong to that point and put some pressure on Allison and forced her to make a couple of of emotional errors. And um I I was running out. It was a perfect out and I got exactly where I wanted on the sixth ball. Uh, you know, if I had ball in hand, I almost I might have put it that right there. But I had to kind of lean funny over the table a little bit to be able to get to shoot it and get position on the seven. And um, my my voices, my head were yelling, "Get up! You're not you're not right. Get up!" And I kind of overrode it instead of getting up and starting over, being up against the clock, which by the way is something else that I'm not really used to. Um, I didn't get up, and I shot it anyway, trying to convince myself as well as I'm playing, I'm not going to miss this. And I hit it into the rail. It wasn't really because, oh, my God, I'm going to go ahead and get on that hill. It wasn't an emotional miss. It was a physical miss. And um, I was fine with it. I sat down. She ran out and made it 5-2. to two. She broke and ran out, made it 5-3. to three. And all of a sudden, like, the air went out of me. I went, oh, my God, I'm going to blow this. 
And then uh, we had a couple of safety battles and interest, weird situations come up. And again, I was up against the clock and I was not, I didn't shoot what I should have shot. I didn't, you know, looking back, I, I knew I should have pushed out here. I should have been for a bank instead of a cut shot here or maybe play it safe. You know, it was, it just, uh, it wasn't good. And Allison said she, either at 5'4 or 5'5, five, five, she looked over at me and saw me, my whole body language was down. And I, for some reason, five five, when she went up to break the balls, I just straightened up and I said, "Okay, well, all I can do now is a race to two, and all I can do is is take advantage of if I get to the table again. If she runs out, I'll have to live with a, that six ball for a long time, and if she doesn't, then um, get yourself ready and be ready to shoot." And um, Allison missed a four ball when uh, when it was Friday. She got a little funny on it, and I kind of said to myself, you know what, this could be my chance, and she rattled it, and I ran out, and then I broke and ran out. Wow. Against uh, against Allison, and, and I'm thinking that how many times has a, a player not in your position, how many times has, has an up-and-coming player had a lead like that against Allison, and had a mental lapse and Allison makes some kind of a comeback. I mean, in the media, we, we read the story all the time, you know, and, and such and such a player in their first WPBA event uh, shocked the crowd by having a 5-1 lead against Allison Fisher, only to lose the match 7-5. to I mean, exactly. Allison, you know, she makes a living doing that sort of thing. You know, here's, no a, here's a scary thought that just came to mind. We've been saying for a long time, well, not we, but a lot of people in the billiards industry have been saying that we need another movie. I think there's a good story here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anybody would believe it, though. What? It was 14 years since the last time you had won a yeah. WPBA event? And 14 years, and interestingly enough, that was against Allison as well. And to make it even more interesting is that I it won the Boston Classic, and um, I was on the hill. I got to the hill first, and I, was, um, I had six to five and ran out, again, a really strong out, and um, got a little funny on the eighth, had to shoot the eighth with a bridge, came up short, but a very makeable nine ball, and just dogged it, just dogged it, because all the thoughts came into my head about winning, and I missed it, and um, she made that, made it, tied it up hill, hill, and I, same thing, I just sat back going, well, I hope she gets a shot, and she didn't make anything on the break, and I cut the, the long one in and ran out from there. So it was kind of a similar, not the same exact thing, but a similar kind of outcome. And uh, nobody has more respect for, than I do for Alice, and anybody who's ever watched me commentate knows that there's nobody that has more respect for Allison's game than I do, and that's part of why I play hard and play tight when I play Allison, because I know she's going to always come with it. By the way, Mitch tells me it was extremely difficult doing the commentary. <laughs> yes. You know, it is a really hard... He prides himself on being incredibly impartial when he does it. You know, his job is right. his job to make to make the sport look good, to make the players look good. He's got his information about the players, to stay unemotional about good shot, bad shot, you know, everything else. He really, really does. Um, you know, he doesn't even mention, you know, he wouldn't even mention that I was his wife it was, it, when I'm playing, if it wasn't for other people. I know Jeanette, you'll see in one of the openings um, when this airs on March 18th, Jeanette said, so how are you feeling, Mr. Ava? 
So she, you know, she decided to, to bring that up. And, you know, he was, he actually said to me afterwards, he came up and he was crying and he gave me the biggest hug afterwards. He ran out of the booth and we gave each other a hug. And he was, he said to me later that night, you know, I'm not really happy about that. And I said, what? He said, well, they had the cameras right there. And I don't want people to think that I was sitting up there rooting for you. And I said, you know what, honey? People aren't stupid. You are my husband. There's nothing to do about that. Your job is to, to talk about the match. But if, you know, if you're sitting up there, of course you're going to want your wife to win. You know, it's not a secret. We've done enough <laughs> commentary together for people to know that we're married. So, Right, right. But it was hard for him. You know, <clears throat> he, he couldn't see. He was speechless there for a while. Didn't really know what to say. So it was it was great. I am sure. Now, what does this do to Ava's attitude about future tournaments? Oh, I'm dangerous now, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so don't you're know. Not going to... I'm still confused. You know, I'm, I went in and hit some balls today. A few yesterday, and I went and hit some balls today, which I usually don't do after a tournament. You know, I don't, I don't play until the tournament is looming, and I start playing again normally. The last so many years, but. I and I was playing lights out. I'm just hitting balls so purely, and I went, you know what? I could, this this is not a fluke. I mean, it'd be one thing if I had a forfeit and a buy-in, another forfeit, and played a couple of players I never heard. But I mean, I I played strong throughout the whole tournament. I played even. My mind was there. So, you know, I'm I've got an I've got new fire. Um, I'm considering I've been invited to some events overseas in Europe and in Asia, and I'm considering going to them, which I haven't done in years because it just hasn't been worth it, and I haven't been into it enough. And but um, you know, I, I'm I, this whole last year really, I've been loving playing again. I've actually enjoyed playing pool, and it's been a long time since I've played for hours and just loved playing. It felt like yeah, a well, job more than it, anything it's else. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. If you're having fun, it's uh, you just play so much better. No question. And if I can get personal for a moment, how is Mitch and Nikki and all the gang? Mitch, Nikki, and the grandkids are awesome, and so is my my son-in-law Toby. We are the luckiest people. We we say it all the time how fortunate where we are. Um, we live close to each other. I get to see you know I have two step grandsons who are um, Tyler and Colton, and then I have a, a new baby who is uh, four months old, little Levi, and I can't tell you how in love I am. And uh, <clears throat> it's pretty cool to be a grandmother and, and be out there and, and beat up on, on girls that are younger than I am. <laughs> I mean, my daughter is. No, younger than my daughter is, so I'm enjoying well, that's that. The trivia, that's the trivia question. How many grandmothers have won WPBA titles? Well, no grandmother has won a WPBA Classic Tour stop, I don't think. Um, I don't think so either. No, I don't think so. Um, I know, I know Dor Dorothy Wise way back in the day. I'm sure she was at least, you know, around that point where she would have been a grandma when she won. I don't know if she has grandchildren. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, if if it, if it's been somebody before, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations again. It was great, Mike. You got anything else for Ava before we let her go? Uh, no, just, um, you know, we haven't heard a whole lot from the WPBA. I understand there are a couple more events uh, scheduled for the year already. Do you know when those events are? I know of one in the uh, the first, the second week of June, we have one, the U.S. Open. And supposedly it's not official yet, and I, that I heard through the grapevine, we're very close to an, a second event in June, which will be the fourth week of June. And we also have uh, an event in 
November in Lincoln City scheduled. So that would be our national championship, I would think. Okay. Uh, but they're still working on it. They're working hard to, to, to get it together. So, and you know, before we end, I wanted to give one last shout out that is pretty amazing. Um, the day before I went to the last event of last year, the Nationals, I got a shipment from Brunswick with three of their cues. They started making cues again. And oh. hit a couple balls with it, and I said to Mitchell, I like this cue. I said, I wanna, I'm want i going to play with it in the tournament. He said, are you sure? I said, well, it's not like I'm winning every tournament and I'm taking a big risk here. I said, it feels good. And I think I, think I finished seventh in that event. And then um, I, just, I played with it at this event as well and won it. So that, that, was, that was pretty cool for me personally. Yeah, I didn't know they started making cues again. That's good news. Yeah, they did. They just introduced them at the trade show last year, and uh, they're they're pretty great. They're very reminiscent to me of my old McDermott that I used to win with years and years and years ago, and it just feels like a solid piece of cue. And and uh, I had a tremendous cue before that, a hunter cue, absolutely amazing. That anybody who picked it up just flipped out over it. But for some reason, right. I just connected with this one. It's more of a kind of heavy, heavy piece of cue, and I and I just love it. Well, good. Keep it up. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, but thanks for thanks for your time. We really do appreciate it. Um, we hope to be talking to you again soon on this very same subject. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Well, that sounded like a very happy lady. She has good reason to be happy. Indeed. And uh, so do we. I mean, it's it's always good to see the good guys do do well, and she's definitely one of the good ones. What else we got to talk about? I know there's still something on your plate. Yeah. Um we had we had an announcement that did not come as a surprise. Um the Seminoles made it official that um they didn't say forever, but they uh, made it official that they were uh, pulling the plug on the tour. Um, I expect it's probably a, if not a forever thing, a very long-term thing. Um, I don't know what their goals were in running their tour, but whatever they were, they obviously did not achieve them. Um why that is, I, I don't really know. You know, the... I don't either. But, but there's an interesting twist to this story that I came across in Derby City. I was talking to a player out of Florida, Adam Wheeler. And he said he had played on the Florida tour before the Seminoles took it over. And he said he really enjoyed it. He said, they, he, said he didn't count them, but he thinks that they had maybe like... Uh, 12, 15, maybe even 20 events a year that he could travel around and play in. And when the Seminoles took it over, each event got more prize money, and that was good. Uh, but they brought the number of events down, so you couldn't play as often. And then they moved them out of Florida, so it was no longer the Florida tour. So he's hopeful that someone will just pick up the Florida tour again, and they'll have these multiple-stop Florida tours. Well, I know there are a number of tours, uh, Tommy Kennedy's tour, Tony Crosby's tour. You know, for the longest time, Florida was a was a real hotbed. You know, it seemed like that's where a lot yeah. of the top players were living. Um, it's where you went to play. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a shame. 
um, you know, the, the Seminoles, they did put a lot of money into this, into the game. Um, and, and let's face it, you know, there's more to it than money being put into the game. Um, if, if Donald Trump decided he wanted to donate $5 million to pool and, you know, a million dollars a year into the prize funds, that would do good things for pool for five years. And then we'd be right back where we are right now. Yeah. There's got to be a bigger resolution yeah. than just somebody throwing money at pool. Uh, but the Seminoles, you know, they threw money at pool for a while. They did. And you were saying maybe they didn't reach their goals. I never really got a clear definition of what their goals were, except to promote the Seminole tribe. That to me sounds a little, we don't really know what we're trying to promote here because I mean, what part are you trying to promote? I mean, what business are you trying to, what Seminole source of income are you trying to influence with this? And I never did see that. You know, they did a great job for the game while they were in it. I'd love to have them back. Um, uh, the, uh, the elders um, who were running the show there for a while had a great love of the game. Uh, but they do have elections every year, and I don't know if that, that group got elected out or... Um, if, if, if you know, if it was a rotation of power or what, you know, there's still a lot of people down there in South Florida who love the game, and um, we, we could see the Seminoles come back, and and they might take time to reassess what they did and reset some goals and improve the product and uh, come back even stronger. Who knows? Well, I'd like to see it, and and you know, my understanding was that that was why they originally got into the game just because uh, some of the elders who were in charge at the time loved the game. Um, You know, something that you and I talked about earlier, one of the, uh, one of the pieces of fallout from the Seminoles going away was a top player who was not in Derby. Yeah. I I haven't seen him at a tournament in a while and he was nowhere to be found. Corey and Mike Davis were the two players that jumped out at me as not being in Derby, as far as the male side of the game. You know, the Derby hasn't drawn the the female participation that it drew in the past, although Jeanette was there and Liz Lovely was there. Uh, but Corey and Mike Davis really jumped out at me as, as being missing from that tournament. Was Hunter Lombardo there? No, I don't think Hunter was there either. Um, and neither, neither was Max Everly. No. Was Toasty there? Uh, I never saw I him. I thought he was. Toasty's easy to miss. He's kind of quiet. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't make a lot of noise. Yeah. So that happened. You know, the Seminoles uh, finally made it official. And we'd been hearing, you know, the last couple of months of last year and the first of this year that, that it was probably going to happen. So... It's official, which that's going to put a real, uh, a, a major hole in the men's BCA calendar of events. What, what do we have, four right now? Um, we have five right now, <clears throat> down from 12 last year. I think 12 was a little a little crazy. And, and I mean, I can remember in the not-too-decent past where there were only a half dozen events. No way, no, wait, it wasn't 12 last year. That seemed like an awful lot. That's one a month. Ten. Ten. Okay. Because the ones we're missing, the ones we're missing are the Seminole events and the Masters. Right. And, you know, it's only January. You and I both know that before 
April gets here, somebody will come out of the woodwork wanting to run a major tournament. Yeah, oh, no, we are missing another one. We're missing Ultimate Ten Ball. Right, and... Yeah, so we're, we're down six events. from we're, We have six fewer events than last year. And this year, you know, we've, we've only got five now, but like you say, someone could come out of the woodwork and, and, and come up with some more tournaments. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I know I'm talking to a gentleman who has the possibility of putting one together in November. But we'll see. Okay. One last thing I wanted to mention. Um, Jerry Brysath, instructor to the stars. Um, yes. Yes, one, yes. Of the, one of the absolute top billiard instructors in the game um, has just released his three DVD set. It's called A Pool Lesson with Jerry Brysath. I actually have a copy right here. Um, I don't remember what he's charging for it. You can go to thepoolschool.com uh, to get information on it. It's um, three discs, about an hour and a half per disc. I've watched uh, pieces of it. Um, I found it very interesting that he had a full section of the video based on hangers, which um, as an amateur player, I know I have problems with them. Uh, ball hanging in the jaws and just seems like you always get goofy shape on that ball. Um, the part that I watched, and I'm assuming the rest of the set too, um, uh, Jerry does the instructing and Mark Wilson does the shooting, so the two of them work together on it, uh, which Mark Wilson is also a very good instructor. Um, I know he was in Derby doing some commentary. The guy, the guy defines the phrase as forgotten more about the game than you or I know. Well, maybe me. I don't know about you. Yeah, he really does. Um, But it certainly looks interesting from what I've seen. Um, Anything that Jerry does is going to be top-notch. I don't think that this is really, um, from what I've seen, this is not um, power one pocket for the rotation game players. It's not that upper level stuff that, um, you know, APA sevens are, are going to watch and, and improve their game by a ball or two. And again, I haven't watched the whole thing, but yeah. you know, an, uh, an amateur player, I think could learn quite a bit from this. And again, it's at thepoolschool.com. Good. Well, Mike, I'm just tired of talking <laughs> to you. Well, I tell you what, let's not wait <laughs> for another player from <laughs> 10 years ago to win a title before we do one of these. Yeah, we, we've got to get together more often. And when we do get together, we are, of course, brought to you by the Lucasi Hybrid Q and the TAP League system. We appreciate them. And we'll look forward to, well, some of us will look forward to seeing you all at Super Billiards Expo. And then some others of us will see you at uh, the BCA Nationals. So look us up if you're at those events. Until we get back together, it's been great. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Ava. Thank you, everyone. See you later.